Welcome to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? I'm Russell, founder of Newton Media Group. Today, we're going to help you know if you want to listen to that one. Stick around. Today is June 25th, 2022. Simple conversation is the gatekeeper to friendships, your dream career, romance, and overall happiness. The ability to connect with anyone is an underrated superpower. If you'd like to never run out of things to say in a conversation, then stay tuned for this chapter-by-chapter preview of Patrick King's book, How to Talk to Anyone. Chapter 1. How to Never Have a Bad Interaction Everyone wants to be more charismatic. Everyone wants others to think they're charming and likable. But have you ever stopped to think about what these words actually mean? What makes one person totally magnetic and attractive while another person bores or irritates us? By the end of this book, you may find yourself with some very different answers to these questions than when you started. In the chapters that follow, We'll look at the key principles behind better conversations, intelligent empathy, and social awareness, so you can start to have more engaging and more connected interactions with anyone, whether that's professionally, romantically, or with friends. We'll see that the biggest roadblock to being a fascinating and likable person is, in fact, a misunderstanding of what charm actually is. Even if you don't feel like you're currently a great conversationalist, and even if you loathe small talk and consider yourself an introvert, rest assured that it is possible to become more charismatic, and anyone can do it. Let's dive in. Mirror me. Have you ever noticed how a mother and her newborn baby communicate? They stare intently at each other. And whatever expression or noise the baby makes, the mother mimics it, amplifies it even, and the baby watches enraptured. What you're watching is a primal and ancient form of communication that we all develop as babies and which our species developed in its earliest history. Many people tend to think of conversation as a verbal thing, but deep, true social connection actually starts way before a word has been spoken. Mirroring is a big part of this. The idea is that humans, being social animals, evolved certain abilities to monitor one another and adjust themselves accordingly in social situations. This helps us feel heard, seen, understood, and more firmly part of the group. We mirror whenever we match another person's verbal or nonverbal communication. This could be mimicking their posture or body language using the same words, inflection, or volume of speech that they use, or adopting similar facial expressions to align with theirs. Most of us do this so automatically that we don't have to be told why we're doing it. But what we're usually trying to communicate is the simple message, I see you, I understand, we're on the same page. Rather than mirroring being an optional trick, It's really the foundation of all good communication and empathy. Consider what it feels like when people don't mirror. For example, you're feeling upset and vulnerable. 
Meanwhile, the person you're talking to is responding flippantly, their voice louder than yours, their tone more relaxed, and their body language more energetic and restless. You probably wouldn't feel like they were listening, right? Or imagine you're excitedly sharing some happy news, and the other person doesn't reflect that excitement in their facial expression, voice, or words. Sure, you know they don't feel the same excitement as you do, but you'd register their unwillingness to mirror as a definite lack of courtesy. Mirroring quickly communicates trust, connection, respect, and understanding. You could communicate without it, but having it in place makes things much easier. In fact, there's scientific evidence for this. In a 2008 study in the... Chapter 2. Connecting Beneath the Surface Ego Suspension and Social Connection Connection is a theme we'll return to over and over in this book. And again, it comes down to a fundamental shift in how we understand the purpose of conversation. When we see the goal of conversation as connection, play, appreciation, and authentic emotional exchange, we behave in entirely different ways than if we see conversation as a battleground, a courtroom, or a stage on which to strut. Robin Dreek is a behavioral and interpersonal instructor at the FBI's Counterintelligence Training Center and understands a lot about the power of suspending ego in effective conversations. Ego suspension is simple, but not easy. It's when we deliberately put other people's perceptions, wants, and needs ahead of our own. FBI agents know that when fishing for intelligence, it's never their job to be right. It's their job to obtain information. Granted, we are not FBI agents, but people wanting to have better quality conversations, but the principle still has value. Choosing to temporarily step into someone else's worldview takes courage because so many of us want to prioritize feeling right and in control. The irony is that ego suspension is actually an ultra-fast way to feel more control in a conversation and be better heard since the connections you make with others will be much richer. According to Dreek, most times when two individuals engage in a conversation, each patiently waits for the other person to be done with whatever story he or she is telling. Then, the other person tells his or her own story, usually on a related topic and often in an attempt to have a better and more interesting story. Individuals practicing good ego suspension would continue to encourage the other individual to talk about their story, neglecting their own need to share what they think is a great story. Honestly, when last did you do this? Many of us like to think that we're attentive and empathetic, but are we really? In the same way, as you notice yourself going into declaration mode, try to notice when you're loading up an anecdote to tell and deliberately choose to let it go. Instead, choose to immerse yourself in someone else's story for a while. You don't have to agree with it or adopt it as your own. All you have to do is entertain it for a while. Just listen. Rather than finding it boring or unfulfilling, most people discover something special when they do this properly. Conversations with others can be engrossing and valuable even when they're not about us. Watch closely to see if you have an information compulsion, the urge to jump in with a story about something that vaguely connects to what's just been said. Instead of trying to add your bit, 
seek to more deeply understand the other person's perspective. Imagine you're a reporter getting the whole story, or an FBI agent. Willingly imagine that it's possible you could learn something from the person in front of you, or that their view on the topic at hand is actually more interesting and nuanced than your own, if you can only suspend your ego long enough to notice it. There are a few practical ways to suspend your ego, even if you find it excruciating at first. Instead of saying, yes, but, say, yes, and. We'll look at this handy technique later in the book. It changes everything. Resist correcting people on minor details or adding in a useless fact just to prove you know it. If you must disagree, present it as an additional piece. Chapter 3. Watch what you say. Tonality and delivery matter. Almost everyone has heard about the power of body language and the role it plays, but relatively few of us consider the voice itself as part of the body. But your voice is not just an abstraction. It's a blend of the unique sounds that various organs of your body create by literally shaping the air around you. When you think about it, your voice is the truest form of body language. The words you say matter, but how you say them may matter even more. The tone of your voice reveals your personality, your state of mind, your intentions, things like your nationality, gender, and age, and even your health. Your tone of voice can soothe, intimidate, inspire, or bore a person to death. It can establish rapport in a few seconds or instantly put people on edge. The thing to remember about tonality is that it is a purely emotional signal, and because of that, it's perceived before the rational component of your message. Rather than imagining that your tone of voice is like a garnish on your more logical verbal expression, remember that people make decisions not in spite of emotions, but because of them. Neuroscientist Antonio Damasio made this discovery in one of his many experiments when he realized that when people had brain damage in their emotion processing regions, they stopped being able to make decisions. They could say all the right things, logically, and explain them, intellectually, but without any emotional attachment. They couldn't choose anything or come to an opinion either way. So, what's the right tone of voice to have when communicating with others? The answer to that is, it depends. The trick is to tailor your tonality to match the situation, your intention, and the person in front of you. Consider these elements. Pitch. This is how high or low your voice is. Naturally, higher voices are perceived as more feminine and lower ones as more masculine, but sadly, for many professional women, the standard advice has been to lower your voice to be taken more seriously. This isn't necessary. Rather, work at varying your pitch so you're not speaking in a monotone. A good trick is to imagine that you're slightly raising your pitch on those words you want to emphasize or when asking a question. On that note, don't raise your pitch at the end of every sentence unless you're asking a question. Yes, this is the notorious valley speak, and it will make you seem unsure or unintelligent. Volume. How quiet or loud you speak. Again, vary it somewhat, and be mindful of what's appropriate in your context. 
Being very soft-spoken can convey calmness, but also low self-esteem or even secrecy. Suddenly drop your voice when you're conveying an intimate detail, and the other person is literally drawn in closer to you to hear what you're saying. Loudness can signal joy and confidence, but also aggression, arrogance, or even craziness. It's a good idea to match your volume to others around you and slightly raise it to catch attention. Lowering it, again, slightly, can signal a more serious, intimate, or gentle shift in tone. Pace, the speed at which you speak. Generally, free-flowing and quick speech is associated with confidence and intelligence, but speaking quickly and breathlessly can also signal anxiety. Speaking too slowly can make you appear, well... Chapter 4 And What You Don't Say The Power of Shutting Up It's not just what you say, but what you don't say. In music, the spaces between the notes are as important as the notes themselves. It's the same with conversation. When you're communicating, silence can talk. Of course, it's all about silences at the right time for the right reason. Pauses are effective when they're consciously chosen, they add structure and meaning to what's being said, and they relax you and your listeners. Some people talk a lot. They may gush forth with a flood of information for many reasons. Maybe they're excited to share a passion, maybe they're anxious, or maybe they have low self-esteem and don't believe that they are truly being listened to, and so they have to keep making their point over and over. Whatever their reason, the irony is that such people tend not to be listened to. They tend to get tuned out. Talking too much can mean many things. Repeating yourself, using extraneous or complicated words when simple ones would do, drawing out sentences or making them overly long, or constantly going on tangents. A big part of this, too, is simply filling every moment with speech, seemingly never pausing to take a breath. But if you can just pause, reflect, and carefully consider your next word before you say it, you'll find a few things happen. Firstly, you'll make yourself more relaxed. If you ever found yourself nervously running out of breath or hearing your own voice change or get choked or awkward sounding, this is probably the reason you're not breathing. When you breathe, your body relaxes and your voice box, being part of your body, relaxes too and it sounds relaxed. When people can hear the relaxation in your voice, they will themselves feel relaxed, not to mention read it as confidence and ease. When you pause, you give your listeners time to actually process what you've said. Choosing not to blast your listener with a fountain of information is just polite. Remember that you already understand the point you're making, but they don't yet, and they need a few seconds to get to where you are. Rush off without them, and you'll probably just lose their interest. When you use pauses to pace and moderate your speaking, you convey a sense of calm control, dignity, and a presence of mind to your speaking. Have you ever looked back and wished you'd spoken more carelessly? No, but you've almost certainly regretted being rushed, saying something without thinking, or speaking in a way that could have been more carefully considered. When you pause, you give yourself time to check in with what you're doing and why. Pausing also gives you breathing room to slow down 
and notice how other people are reacting to you so you can adjust there and then. Have you ever spoken to someone who seems clueless to the fact that you're bored to tears with their never-ending story? It's probably because they're so engrossed in telling of that story that they don't notice that you aren't. Finally, a pause is a perfect thing to substitute instead of aggravating filler words like um and like slow down. Practice peppering your speech with pauses from a split second longer to one or two seconds long. You can count one Mississippi in your head to measure. You will instantly come across as more deliberate, confident, and in control. Many people worry about pausing because they fear others will lose interest or interrupt them. Chapter 5. Boost Your CQ. Conversational Intelligence. Empathy and Blind Spots. Conversational intelligence is about so much more than being charming. How many times have you been in a conversation you genuinely weren't enjoying, but the other person clearly thought that things were going well? In their minds, they might have believed they were absolutely charming, and yet you thought differently. Well, consider the possibility that you may sometimes be on the other end of this dynamic. Sadly, the very thing that makes us bad at conversations is also the thing that makes us bad at recognizing that we're bad at conversations, unaware self-centeredness. What is the ratio of telling and asking, of trying to be interesting versus trying to be interested? All the while you are trying to bring people around to your point of view, you may have missed one crucial bit of information. They weren't enjoying it. In other words, you have a conversational blind spot. You're talking to a person, mistakenly thinking you're talking with them. It's a blind spot because they see it and you don't. It can take enormous amounts of self-awareness, discipline, and practice to stop acting as though a conversation is the same as delivering a monologue in another person's company. So often, people talk past each other, completely unaware of the fact that the conversation has actually failed. You may be charming, but you might not be coming across that way. This is easy to explain. Expressing yourself, expounding on your much-loved opinions, and hearing your own voice actually encourages the release of the reward neurotransmitter dopamine. You start to think that this buzz of self-expression is also experienced by the other person, proving that you're connecting well. While our brain is rewarding us with dopamine, the same thing's not happening for the other person. And we may not notice that they're actually feeling bored, invisible, cut off, or irrelevant. In fact, the neurochemicals whizzing around in their brain are more akin to those released during rejection and physical pain. Your listener might go into a subtle fight-or-flight mode, and their bodies may start to produce cortisol, shutting down their executive function, the prefrontal cortex, and allowing their lower brains to take over, the amygdala. They're no longer paying attention. They're no longer engaged. From your point of view, you may have no clue that any of this is happening unless you have empathy. Empathy allows us to peek out of our blind spots and check in on others when we're most likely to forget them and become overly engaged with ourselves. And this is why you need to have conversational intelligence. 
It takes practice. But here are some useful tips to try in your next conversation. They all require a suspension of assumptions. First, don't assume you have no conversational blind spots. If you think this, consider it proof that you do. Another thing is not to assume that others think, feel, or believe as you do. Don't make guesses about anything. The whole point of conversation is to encounter another person who is not you. So don't assume you already know who they are and what they think. This is why it's so important to ask more questions and make fewer statements. Don't assume that the other person sees the conversation the same way as you do. We all have different goals and needs in speaking to others. We want different things. Chapter 6. Overarching Themes. Active Listening. Active listening is one of the strongest conversation skills you can have in your arsenal. It establishes respect and concern for your partner's viewpoints and makes it easier for you to process information that's intricate and difficult to understand through passive listening. It also eases the communication process. Active listening helps you learn what the other person's needs are and therefore makes you less cautious and more open with your responses. Perhaps above all else, active listening makes it 100% clear and certain that you are comprehending your conversation partner. They know that you're right there with them. At the same time, we have to push our ego out of the way so we can truly access what the other person is saying. We call this process active listening because it engages so many parts of our mind and makes us do something to understand what's being communicated. Therapists are excellent models of how to be an active listener. They listen to their clients with a clear purpose. If there's something they're hearing that they're not 100% sure about, they encourage their clients to be clear and deliberate. These therapists try to restate their patients' statements and ask them to elaborate on what they mean. Above all, they try to make their clients feel calm and safe about communicating through contemplation, clear body language, and a spirit of empathy. Therapists are driven by a very clear goal of hearing their clients out and their every response is informed by this goal. Can we say the same about ourselves when we're trying to listen to others? Active listening involves a few essential types of reactions and inquiries that you can start using almost immediately. These are all designed to ensure that the speaker can feel you're on the same emotional page as them. After all, what's listening if it's only going on inside your head and not being conveyed to the other person? Comprehending The first step in active listening is, of course, comprehending what the other person is saying in the first place. If the person who's talking to us is speaking the same language as we normally do, this process is fairly automatic. But there are other potential blocks. For example, if the person uses a lot of jargon or slang that we aren't familiar with, or if there are differences in generation, social standing, or culture that we just don't know enough about. Above all else, you just want to make sure you're on the same emotional page as the speaker so you can ascertain their needs and desires at the moment. A great thing to ask if we're not understanding what someone's saying is, can you explain it to me as if I were five years old? A five-year-old knows enough words to hold a conversation, but needs to have 
relatively complex situations described them in a very patient, deliberate way using the words they already know. Especially if you think the other person figures appearing condescending or patronizing, asking them to describe something as if you were, let's say, far younger than your actual age can make them feel a little more at ease. Other statements to ask for help comprehending include, What happened? Tell me your story. What do you mean? Tell me more. Can you clear this part up for me? Don't be afraid of coming across as stupid or interrupting. Most people like to feel like experts, and we're all experts in our own experience. It can even be useful sometimes to be completely transparent about your lack of understanding. If you frame this as a reason... Thanks for joining me on this episode of Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Remember to check out Patrick King's site at bit.ly slash pkconsulting, or check out our site at newtonmg.com. <laughs>